Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I am Tane Kell. You know, loyal listeners know that we always ask for topic suggestions for future episodes in every episode we record. Because we don't like to work that hard. Exactly. We're out of ideas. And you have been kind enough, loyal listeners, both of you, to send us some really good ideas. Yeah. For example, James Argo Jr. sent an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com uh, with an idea that we're going to use today. Shout out to Mr. Argo. Yeah, friend of the podcast. Thanks, James. Seriously, though, we do appreciate the episode ideas that you guys uh, send in, and uh, we hope you'll keep them coming. We know that most of our episodes are incredibly exciting and enthralling and, and keep you really on the edge of your seat with anticipation. Absolutely, yeah, right. Anywho, this episode <laughs> might be less enthralling, Come but on, it is important, and it contains information that both judges and lawyers really need to know because it changes, it addresses, I guess, a, a recent change in the law effective July 1. Yeah, wait, let's not throw any more wet blankets on this episode. Let's just, uh, let's just jump right in, all right? All right, so during our winter 2023 seminar for judges, Superior Court judges, FOP Judge Robert McBurney, you remember him? He's kind of busy right now. <laughs> He's got a little bit going on. <laughs> Was kind enough to present on a topic that we're going to use today. Yeah, I mean, as usual, we're stealing from our colleagues and sharing our secret meeting info with you, our loyal listeners. Loyal listeners are aware that the shout-out to avoid plagiarism philosophy is alive and well here on the Good Judgment Podcast. And today is no different. Uh, shout-out to our friend, Judge McBurney. Thanks, Robert. All right, so we're going to talk about something called SCAPA. We're going to... We're going to... SCAPA. It sounds you actually like a, have to... Because it's two S's, you have to go with SCAPA. Oh, okay. Scapa. There you go. Perfect. So this is a change in, in the law, Tane, effective July 1, 2023. And, and let me just point out that when we're recording this, it's July 13th, 2023. That's how hot this topic is. So this applies to petitions for review. That's going to be a new, a new term, Tane. That's hard to say, right. term, Tane. Term, Tane. This applies to petitions for review filed on or after July 1, 2023, regardless of when the underlying case was tried. It's just when the appeal gets filed from a, a lower adjudicatory. We're going to talk about that a good bit. That's right. House Bill 916 was passed by the Georgia legislature, and that House bill is 55 pages long. So there's a significant body of law here. And it has the nickname, Tane, the Superior and State Court Appellate Practice Act. And you, can you pronounce it for him again? Yeah. <laughs> This is a complete rewrite to several sections, and I mean a whole bunch of sections, of the appellate code dealing with appeals from any lower adjudicatory. Yeah, I love that word. It's mainly a rewrite to Title V, Chapter 3 of OCGA. If you want to find all this law, you need to do is look at OCGA Section 531 at SEC, all the following chapters. And this new law completely changes how appeals are handled from lower adjudicatories yeah, now wait we always you know how curious we are here at the good judgment podcast we always ask things like why so what what's the reason for this change do you think well tane 
even back in your day, way back when they barely had electronics and electricity in the courtrooms when you were a judge? They carved the the law into uh, stone tablets, actually, and a lot of times printed them in clay and cuneiform uh, right after the Code of Hammurabi was first published, as it were. Uh, so, but anyway, go ahead. But yeah, if wait. you've ever presided over one of these, Tane, as a judge, no, they're you knew any kind of appeal or, or if you've ever represented a client that was trying to appeal something from a lower court, you know, the answer of the, the why answer. Yeah, absolutely. Basically the prior uh, process was a mess, Tane. Yes, it was. In SCAPA, the legislature actually answered the question more eloqu eloquently than our offhand answer. Uh, in other words, as you said, it was a colossal mess. So OCGA 5-3-2 Every time a statue decided, an angel gets his wings. It includes so, legislative findings, Tane, and it includes basically it indicates that many appeals from lower from a lower adjudicatory, and we're going to define that term in a minute, mm -hmm. to a superior state court frequently result in dismissal on complex procedural grounds and not a decision on the merits. That's an end quote from the actual statute. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, I know when you and I were teaching about these appeals to to new judges, that's that's where we started. Was there are a whole bunch of procedures that have to be followed, and if they don't, the case gets dismissed. And so we would start with all of those, you know, prerequisites that had to uh, to happen. So, yeah, I mean that that was probably not a good result that you're dismissing things on on highly technical grounds. And a lot of these are, are self-represented litigants that are pursuing these. Not, a, not all, but a lot, a substantial number of them. And it was easy to fall into traps because there was multiple different code sections and you had to find a writ to do this and you had to do a supersedious bond to do that. And, and SCAPA basically has eliminated that. Yeah, according to the legislature, SCAPA, was intended to provide a process or procedure based on a petition for review, as they call it, and eliminated this writ of certiary process uh, in this context. You know, certiary, is really, it's a hard it's word. It's a hard it? word to say. Yeah. And yeah, you saw me tripping over so that. So now that we're getting rid of it, that's probably a good thing, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Now, shout out, and this is important. This does not mean that the writ of certiorari is eliminated in the context of appeals to the Supreme Court or the Court of Appeals. That, that This has nothing to do with that. This change right, only, only those, applies to appeals in the Superior and State Court. From those lower adjudicatories. So many yep. of you are going to probably asking yourself at this point, hold up. What hold does the, on. Hold on. What does the term lower adjudicatory, can you help me, Tane? Lower, Lower adjudicatory. adjudicatory mean. Golly, I'm struggling with that already. I had a former secretary who used to answer the phone and she, before she transferred, she, she would say, okay, hold on. And <laughs> so that's what we're doing right here. Okay, hold on. Okay, hold what on. does lower adjudicatory mean? And we're glad you asked because it's defined in OCGA sections 5-3-3, subsection 5 and subsection 6. Every subsection time a you decided, an angel gets his wings. You know, I don't think we're going to keep doing that this whole time. Please do. Yeah. Putting some wings on some angels, buddy. Uh, subsection 5 defines judicatory, <laughs> meaning any court, official, board, tribunal, commission, municipal or county authority, council, or similar body exercising judicial or quasi-judicial powers authorized by law. The term judicatory shall include an arbitrator, administrative law judge, mediator, or similar adjudicator authorized by law to act on behalf of or at the request of 
any public official or body. Whew. You know? I know. And there's more. Well, there is. I'll tell you about it's six like in the, a minute. It's like the Ginsu knife commercial. And there, yeah, there's more. <laughs> but this definition, this def- basically, it, that includes magistrate court or another court, but it also includes bodies like workers' compensation boards, bo- something heard by an ALJ, like a license driver's license suspension appeal, and all of the other sort of boards and bodies in between. Now, right. subsection six, Tane, the lower ju- judicatory, means a judicatory that is a inferior in authority to the superior state courts and b subject to the appellate jurisdiction of the superior state courts as provided by the laws and the constitution of the state now tain superior court judges get a bad rap because we have to talk about inferior courts and we're not talking about less important we're just talking about in terms of structure aren't we wade (laughs) <laughs> no, we are not. It's right there in our name, Superior. Okay. All right. You're right. All right. So the important thing about SCAPA is it does not expand or contract our normal appellate jurisdiction. And that's good news. Yeah. I mean, SCAPA doesn't really change any of the jurisdiction or authority of Superior Court or state courts to hear appeals. It merely changed the process to be followed when a party wants to appeal from certain other courts. And superior courts have no appellate jurisdiction over state courts, vice versa. The statute says that, so that that, net, that didn't change. Right. And additionally, neither the superior court nor the state courts have any appellate jurisdiction over, and these are enumerated in the statute, number one, juvenile courts. Number two, municipal courts of Col- the municipal court of Columbus. Number three, civil court of Macon, Bibb County. Number four, civil court of Richmond County. Number five, Georgia statewide business court. Number six, Civil case in an Article Six probate court. Number seven, an order appointing a temporary administrator. Or number eight, any other court from which an appeal directly to the Court of Appeals or Supreme Court is authorized. Again, SCAPA does not expand or contract our appellate jurisdiction, only changes the process. Now, some of our listeners may be now asking themselves, what's a civil court? Well, there are only two of them in Georgia. We had one in Augusta when I was a part of the Augusta Circuit, and there's one in Macon-Bibb County. They have authority to conduct jury trials, and they have a monetary jurisdictional limit. So they are a court of record, if you, if that's what you, if that, if you understand what court of record means. Right, and likewise, some of you may be may not be familiar with an Article Six probate court. If you don't know what an Article Six probate court is, then you've not been with the Good Judgment podcast for all of our episodes because we discussed this very topic with one of our FOPs from the probate court. But if you want to know, a pro, a probate, an Article Six probate court is defined in 15-9-120, subsection 2. It has the county where that court is must have a population of more than 90,000 per, persons according to the most recent census and any future census. And the judge there must have been admitted to practice law, must be a lawyer and must have been practicing law for at least seven years. You know, you know, yeah, I know. Right. Let's go. Let's go there. We're assuming our listeners are asking themselves a whole bunch of questions today. Have you noticed that? I, yeah, I know. I, I'm hoping I they're listening. Think our listeners and, are more curious yeah. than they actually might be, but yeah. yeah. Anyway. So petition for review, this is the, 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 the new phrase that takes the place of any certiorari or writ of prohibition or any of those other things. And it's easier to say. It's a whole lot easier to say. The statute petition says, for 
the statute says that a petition for review is, quote, any request for review of a final judgment. Now, that's pretty broad, Tane, don't you think? Yeah, it, it basically doesn't mean how you characterize it. If it's a request for review, it's a petition for review. So implicit in that broad definition is the fact that we are not going to get lost in the technicalities of the form of the petition for review. Remember, the legislative intent stated that they do not want appeals dismissed on, quote, complex procedural grounds. Yeah, it, that does not mean that there are not some time limits or other requirements that should be ignored. Instead, understand that the legislature wants judges of the superior and state court to decide these appeals on the merits when possible and not really get hung up on technicalities. Now, SCAPA only applies to final judgments, and that term actually is, is defined in the statute, Tane. That's right. The litigants must have exhausted all appellate remedies available in the lower adjudicatory and have satisfied all conditions precedent to appeal. So McBurney, when he was given this presentation, gave a real good example. Assume the body that we're talking about is something like a planning and zoning board, let's say. Let's okay. say that under the rules, the litigants did not like the decision of that board, but before they can file a, a, a court appeal and get to the superior state courts, the litigants have to appeal to the county commission, for example, if that's the way the statute's written. They have right. to exhaust all those remedi remedies established by the judicatory as a prerequisite to the appeal being ripe for our appellate jurisdiction in the courts, Tane. And that makes sense so that they don't get to skip any steps along the way and go directly to the appellate court. It's just like with a regular appeal. You can't just skip over uh, any of those steps before you get there. you got to file your notice of review and the, all the things that you have to do in the court below. So let's talk about time limitations a little bit, Tane. The petition for review has to be filed within 30 days of the final judgment. Remember, final judgment. Yeah, and as noted by Judge McBurney, there's a fairly common type of appeal that may not be, quote, harmonized with this 30-day requirement. Appeals from a dispossessory or an eviction action, those are, those are kind of unique. Under OCGA section 44-7-56, uh, Every time a statue decided, an angel gets his wings. That's going to get old. Uh, the parties have seven days, seven days from the date of the final judgment to file an appeal in a dispossessory action. So to make all of this just as clear as mud, right? <laughs> Please do. You will note that that 44756, and it's not the only one, it was amended within this House bill to make a reference to SCAPA. It talks about any appeals must be filed pursuant to Chapter 3, Article 6 and 7 of Title 5. But it did not change the seven-day timeline Seven day timeline in that appeal. As another example, I think there's a 20-day limit in workers' compensation appeals. This is going to be probably litigated, and it generated a good bit of discussion at the um, seminar where McBurney spoke. Most of the judges seem to be of the effect, of the opinion, excuse me, that if a statute has a specific time deadline that that would control over the general time deadline of how to file appeals in general. But that's that's still up for debate. Obviously, there's no cases on this. McBurney was funny. He said top three cases on SCAPA, and he said none. So, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we're all going to learn this together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I remember, remember the days when they put in the uh, Tort Claims Act, and we litigated every single case till we found out what the act meant. So that's the same with SCAPA. Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. 
Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. Yeah, let's talk about service of the petition for review. So you must serve a petition for review on all the parties, and it also has to be filed with the clerk of the reviewing court. So the, the court that's going to actually make the review uh, of that case. Any judge or other decision maker is not to be listed as a party to the appeal. Thank you. Yeah. So you don't also list things like the county commissioners and those sorts of things below. You don't, you don't have to make them uh, parties uh, to the case in order to make it, uh, you know, appropriate, uh, appropriately filed. And, and then once that is served, the respondent, whoever that may be, has 30 days to respond uh, to the petition for review. And if the appeal is a de novo proceeding, which we are going to talk about exhaustively before today's over, the response must include any counterclaims, cross appeals, third party claims, et cetera, that are being raised by the respondent. Yeah. So Wade, is there, is there, a, we talked about with, you know, the techn- elimination of some of these technicalities, but is there a form that this petition needs to take or that it needs to be put into? There's a suggested form. It's not like it doesn't have like the paragraph set off in tables and all that, but it basically says it shall include the name of the case, what you're complaining about, who the parties are, et cetera. There's an entire and fairly exhaustive provision relating to what is to be included in that record and how the record below is to be recreated, I guess, if the adjudicatory, can you tell I'm struggling with that word? Yeah, yeah. Adjudicatory does not have a a transcript per se. There's a whole process and it's in the statute. Yeah, interestingly, it, it, it indicates that deficiencies in the petition for review should not make it be a you know should not make it be dismissed um that instead the appellate court should inform the party on how the petition for review is deficient so again they're trying to eliminate these these dismissals for technical reasons and so um it's almost like uh it's almost like the court is required to do a uh, motion for more definite statement or something like that and say hey party this is what you need to come back and do and fill in fill in the gaps here. You know, Tane, you talked earlier about the old law, but in our initial NJOs, we would tell people all the things that could lead to a dismissal. Now, there is a limited number of things that can lead to a dismissal under SCAPA. Specifically, they say that judges can only dismiss without review if, one, the petition for review is not filed within the time limitation, two, reviewing court lacks jurisdiction. In other words, if they filed it in, in McBurney, gave the example of when part of uh, a city is in two counties mm-hmm. and where the jurisdiction lies. If you're in the wrong county, you're supposed to transfer it according to uniform rules, not dismiss it outright. Three, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. that's, that's just like what you would do with a civil action, you know, or that was filed in the wrong county. 
Three, if the question is now moot for some reason. Four, if there is somehow an absence of justiciable controversy. Five, mm -hmm. failure to prosecute. And six, failure of the petitioner to comply with SCAPA after a court rule or order. In other words, you give them a basically an order for a mo more definite statement or a more complete statement, and they just ignore you, almost like a failure to prosecute. You cannot sure. dismiss the pleading for basic defects, Tane. You must give the pet the petitioner, quote, reasonable opportunity to amend. I don't know exactly if that's 10 days, two weeks, three months, but ultimately you don't dismiss for uh, deficiencies. You have to give them a right to fix it. Yeah, and my guess is we'll find out over time what re what is reasonable yeah. and what is not. But it, it sounds like right now that the reviewing court has a good bit of discretion to decide what that might be in the particular case. Let's talk, Wade, about what our what what our standard of review is on these cases. Cause I know before we had we had more than one standard sometimes on on reviewing cases. Absolutely. We had to you know, any evidence and we had other other preponderance standards and things like that. So let's talk about the, the standard of review for these. So if the appeal does not require a de novo hearing, Tane, as you know, if it's a de novo required, you got to basically have a trial. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But if it's not a de novo by, by some other statute or rule, one, you review only the matters raised in the record below. Two, you review findings of fact and credibility determinations for clear error, not, not merely some sort of bad call by the judge or body or the adjudicatory. Three, any decision within the discretion of that lower adjudicatory is reviewed for abuse of discretion. Four, whether there was sufficient evidence presented. And then five, any you, you judge are supposed to review any questions of law de novo. But so basically they have given us the direction. There's no preponderance. There's no more likely than Any not. Evidence. It's just abuse of discretion, things like that, that, that they tell us to review. Now, Tane, I don't know if you've ever had one of these, but when you were judging, but when, when you get an appeal and somebody asks for a jury trial, now this is going, this is another TBD sort of thing about SCAPA, but let's, let's talk about jury trials. Sure. So under under the new SCAPA rules, uh, a jury trial is only required if it is a de novo appeal and a jury trial is also authorized by law. Uh, so a party wanting a jury trial must request it within 30 days of filing the petition for review. And uh, he, let's let's talk about what the language is of that statute because I think it's important. Wait, it's a little fuzzy, Tane, and this is this this was a lot of debate among the judges at that conference under five three five B. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. You hear that or not? A reviewing court shall conduct a de novo proceeding under this chapter if a de novo proceeding is specified by law. Period. Okay. And this is the fuzzy part. Cases reviewed under this subsection shall be heard by the reviewing court without a jury unless a jury trial is ordered by the reviewing court and authorized by law. You know, hmm. this is going to have to be one of those you make the call moments, Tane, as, as the judges and other people who are listening in, because obviously there aren't any appellate courts that have interpreted this, but... Tane, if the trial judge does not have the authority to deny request for a jury trial, why do you add the statutory language unless the jury trial is ordered by the reviewing court? Yeah, I, I don't really understand why that 
I don't know what that adds to the statute exactly. I mean, if it if the unless law you can authorizes, deny a request, right? Yeah, I mean the the law require or I'm sorry authorizes it. I guess it's authorized but not required in some circumstances. I don't know, but yeah, I wish we could give you more direction on that. But whoever gets the first one of these cases will uh, will, will get to figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> There yeah, may call, be some call us at the Good Judgment podcast, and we'll put you on as a friend of the podcast. <laughs> there may be some question about whether the judge can deny a demand for a jury trial if that if that demand is timely made. But our reading suggests that the judge can deny a request in a, on a jury trial in a de novo proceeding like this because otherwise there's no reason to add that phrase to the statute. So, Agreed. Agreed. We're told to just con construe all of this, all of this scapa business broadly, Tane. So tell tell the folks what the legislature said about how we should con construe scapa generally. Sure. Within the statute itself, the legislature indicated, number one, that scapa should be construed broadly so that the decisions are based on the merits and avoid dismissal unless that dismissal is expressly required. We talked about that a little bit already. Number two, Construe petitions for review according to their substance and not nearly by their style or form. And number three, do not construe SCAPA to expand the limited appellate jurisdiction of superior and state court. So those are three pretty basic rules um, th that I think are easier to follow than some of the other, <laughs> the previous rules that were kind of all over the place. So, you know, I, I think I think if you if you learn those three, it's probably where we'll start in the training <laughs> Wade yeah. from now on is uh, is with those three basic rules. So Tane, it, this all of this sort of begged the question when I was working on this outline: What appeals are de novo, and which ones are not de novo? That is a great question. You would think Tane that there would be a chart or a statute or somewhere where you could find a big list of the types of cases that are de novo to superior only, state courts. I know, right? Gosh, I mean. If somebody would just step in and make this easier, Wade, for the user. Well, don't get excited because we're not reading this chart. So mm -hmm. we looked for that list. It wasn't there. And so what I did was I just went through and did a quick Westlaw search, and I came up with a chart. It's about, I don't know, six, seven pages long in this outline. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find the outline, Tane. Please, folks, by all means, go to goodjudgepod.com and get your outline. Because, yeah, this chart is actually a, a work of art uh, by Wade, and it'll make it a whole lot easier when you're trying to figure out, wait a minute, is this a de novo appeal or is this something that but this is I'm just, just a doing fraction. on the record? I mean, that's, that's why this statute is so yeah. long, is because they amended so many statutes. And so between having the statute out in front of you that – the, the House Bill 916 and having this chart in front of you, hopefully that gives you a, a, a sense of which ones are de novo and which ones are not. But now the larger point, Tane, and I'm not reading this list, but the larger point is that there are literally hundreds of different departments, boards, et cetera, that have decision-making authority and where the appellate jurisdiction over those matters are assigned to superior or state court. There's a couple in here I would sort of, point out workers comp is not de novo it is clearly a review of the record i got dinged on that once uh our esteemed brethren and sistren on the appellate courts um appeals of traffic convictions from non-article 6 probate courts that is not a de novo appeal um 
literally this goes on for pages and it talks about the the decision of an arbitrator in lemon law cases and athletic trainer licenses being revoked and there's just all sorts of it some of our our, our colleagues in fulton county man by statute they get a whole lot of appeals and i'm glad that's well, not me i was going to say that too uh yeah our, our our folks in fulton who are listening you know i encourage you go through and look at the list and also, you know, develop your own list because you so many of those appeals are seated there in Fulton County for you folks. And, and, um, God bless you for that. But, uh, you're, you're going to have to make a determination as to whether it's a de novo review or not. So, um, but I think, but I think this is a good start. And I think what Wade's done here is helpful and maybe somebody will pick up the, uh, you know, pick up the mantle and try to cover all the statutes at some point at, hint hint out there friends of podcast uh and and we'll we'll be glad to plagiarize it and put it on our website absolutely so that's a <laughs> wrap on this if you give a shout out wade uh, that's a wrap on this episode dealing with scapa yeah make sure that you consult ocga section 5-3-1 at sec if you have an appeal after july uh, 1st of 2023 the process and procedure has radically changed with the passage of hb 916 yeah but the good news is that the statute didn't expand or contract the appellate jurisdiction of superior state court it just changed processes shout out to james argo for the idea we received via a very kind email he sent to goodjudgepod at gmail.com and uh, would you like to hear your idea for an episode discussed by Dumb and Dumber here on the podcast? If so, please send us an email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com, just like Mr. Argo did. If you want to see these episode notes, you can check that out at our website, goodjudgepod.com. We have the citations to authority listed there. So, Tane, why don't you educate us up as we uh, walk on out today? Sure. So, you know, usually we tell a story about music trivia here at the end of an episode, but today's episode was a little heavy, so I thought it might be more fun to see if you knew a bunch of little random facts about a few of our pop superstars. This is kind of in, in celebration of the fact that Britney's autobiography is about to come out, and we're going to learn all kinds of really interesting facts about her. But, for example, Alicia Keys is an amazing pianist and singer. Do you know what her real name is? Alicia Ajello Cook. Wade once went to Las Vegas to see Bruno Mars. Do you know Bruno Mars' real name? I bet Wade does. What is it, Wade? Peter Jean Hernandez. Oh, wow. I did not know that one. Uh, okay, for one of our more seasoned listeners, you all know that Sting was the front man for the legendary band The Police, and his real name was Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner. Now, for the real question about Sting, why is he called Sting? And I actually knew the answer to this one without looking it up. Because when he first started out, he was in a band called the Phoenix Jasmine. He was the bass player, of course. And he regularly wore a yellow and black striped sweater. This was way before he became cool. <laughs> and he kind of looked like a bumblebee. And hence came the nickname Sting. I guess you could say that Sting just stuck. Right, Wade? Man, the things you learn here. At least they didn't call him Bumble. All right, folks, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our best to give you actionable information, but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself. Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, 
If we failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law, my new part-time employer. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but we didn't, so... Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across Georgia. Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute who allow us to do this through their generosity. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website goodjudgepod.com. And we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. But seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening.